0: Heterodorks, heteroducks,
1: dorks. Hello, turfs and trannies. My name is corinna Cohn, and you are listening to Heterodorks.
0: And I'm Nina Paley, also your co-host of Heterodorks. D o
1: r x. D o r x. Speaking of turfs and trannies, I think we have a special guest with us today who's a little bit of both. Welcome, Grace Ledinsky Smith. <laughs>
2: Thank you so much, Corinna, Nina. It's great to be here.
0: Thank you for joining us. And I guess uh my first question for you is how would you compare woman as a social construct to the proletariat as a social construct? Or firefighters. <laughs> or firefighters.
2: I don't know, Nina. How does one compare a sparrow's song to an eagle's cry? how does one compare the sunlight to the light from some other thing i don't know it's it's impossible for me to say i'm just not smart enough that's why we're not highly paid professors
0: <sighs> it's too bad isn't If it?
1: moths flock to it it is a moon
0: <laughs> uh okay well that was my question did you have any questions corinna
1: I didn't prepare any questions. I, every time I have a question, though, because I, I know Grace offline. So anytime that a question comes to me, instantly I text her, even if it's at 2 o'clock in the morning. And she will patiently wake up and send a reply. So it's, it's great.
0: Okay, so what sort of questions?
1: What the fuck was going on with that last interview? That was, I think, the last question that we talked about.
2: Yeah, I was, um, I was just discussing it with my fiance before this uh, call being like, and then, <laughs> and then they, and then it was like, why do females become women? That's a question for a th- theoretical statistician to answer. <laughs> it <was> like, wow.
0: <laughs> funny i was so triggered by that interview like i had to work it off with a huge bike ride (laughs) and then when i started listening again i had to do another bike ride it was like very upsetting and yet after i talked to corinna on tuesday uh, i've just felt fine ever since i somehow worked through all my being triggered i think when corinna just calmly said oh this is queer theory And queer theory is almost indistinguishable from narcissism and, and then let me a book about queer theory called cynical theories, which I began reading as soon as I'm done reading the Lionel Shriver novel that Corinna also lent me. I was just like, okay, you know, fine. Like I, and I just stopped being all upset about it. And instead, I just wonder at it. The great diversity of human.
1: Rationalization.
0: Thoughts. (laughs) Thoughts or thought like behaviors or just human behavior. It's all a great parade of difference. And yeah, I'm fine now. It was really traumatic though, as Corinna can attest.
2: Do some decompressing after that episode. Sometimes you need a little space. Yeah.
0: Yeah, you're processing. I actually processed it almost the way uh, a Mitch Fest lesbian would process something talking you know- and talking.
2: Sorry. Go yeah. on. I was going to say, I got speaking of Mitch Fest lesbians, I um, had a lesbian friend of mine invite me to Mitch Fest on the last Mitch Fest. And I was like, no, it's transphobic. I can't go. <laughs> This was back in, I don't know, 2016 or something, 15. Just uh, funny. I never went. Did you, Nina?
0: I never went to Mitch Fest, but I went to the Michigan family Reunion two years ago, and I am going back on Friday.
2: It was good?
0: I liked it, yeah. I mean, you know, it's also a grand parade of differences. Uh, I got that special thing that they said you get, if you hang around, if it's only women, it's a women only space. There are no men at all anywhere. And even though there's a great diversity among the women there, uh, it was all women's space. And yeah, I liked it. I liked it a lot more than I thought I would. I thought I would actually hate camping
1: with a, you know, at a freaking
0: music festival. Uh That
1: sounds really lovely. I wish I could have gone to ruin it. (laughs) (laughs) You can still
0: protest outside, Corinna. Restore, bring back that tradition. They're missing it. They're missing trans activists at the the gate.
1: (laughs) Yes. Uh, As you know, I own a sword. So I have the accoutrement for going up there and threatening male violence outside of a woman only space.
2: Sure. I hope you'll be wearing your renaissance fair garb uh, at when you when you do so. I
1: that's that was a secret.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm, so sure. I'm really hoping to go back to a ren fair because last time I went to a ren fair, it was when I was trans and I had this really traumatic experience, which was I went dressed as a male hobbit and some guy was like ahoy fair lady and I was like no <laughs> <laughs> I thought you would sympathize with that
1: yes I hate it when that happens to me too. <laughs> although I did put together the last pieces that I need of my male garb so when I go to the renaissance festival in Ohio later this fall I'm going to go wearing male garb Isn't that going to trigger your
0: dysphoria?
1: I don't know what's going to happen because I'm a very pretty boy. And I think if I dress up like a very pretty boy and I'm going to do the eye makeup too, which I never do, but if I want to be a really pretty boy, I I need the mascara and the, and the eyeliner or guy liner. I, I think I'm going to make a pretty interesting looking figure, maybe comical though, but we'll see how it goes.
0: Hmm it's a little victor victoria
1: it is i should do a remake of that where i play a drag king <laughs> at a at a ren fair At a, yes you're doing a drag prince a drag prince verily there are a lot of trannies at the renaissance festival though
0: gee who could who'd have thunk it
1: what what makes you think that the Renaissance Festival is just a, a magnet for trannies?
0: Well, I think about the overlap of autism and genderism. And when I think autism, I think nerds. And I'm afraid that is solidly in the, in the Venn diagram with the Ren Faire stuff. <laughs>
1: That is solid reasoning. I love it, though. The reasoning? Indulging in your special hobbies. Sure. It's puzzling, but fun.
0: Yeah. You can't change the fact that you were born a
1: nerd, Corinna. I was not born a nerd, Nina. God damn it. I was assigned nerd at birth.
0: You were assigned nerd (laughs) at birth. Yes.
1: I'm an an A-nab.
0: And you might be able to, you know, fool some people with the sex cues, but you're not going to fool anyone about the nerd
2: stuff. Perhaps you should submit yourself to some kind of nerd conversion therapy to free yourself.
1: (laughs) Well, I am taking (laughs) tennis lessons, so becoming a jock (laughs) is the first step to fixing (laughs) the problems of uh, nerdism.
0: I accept you. I accept you as you are, Corinna.
1: Thank you. And as my favorite jock, Nina, that means a lot to me. Have you done 11 100-mile rides this year?
0: I have.
1: Yeah, that's crazy.
0: 11 centuries. I kind of ruined the millennium thing by doing another century right after I finished the millennium. I was like, the millennium was this huge goal, right? 10 centuries. And I'm like, oh, and then I'm going to blog about it. And it's like symbolic. It's my millennium. So then I can get back to work on my apocalypse project. And instead... Like three days later, I did another hundred ride because I had to work off that interview we did. And uh, now it's like eleven. That's all lopsided. It's not, you know, like
2: so. I'm ignoring the whole thing. My whole summer goal. Wow, that 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 is impressive. I consider myself among gods of jockdom here, as a a mere mortal, with Corinna, <laughs> Corinna's Karina's tennis and Nina's uh hundred mile bike rides. You can, um, are you also a high te- a naturally high T woman like myself? A
0: naturally notice? high. T- How would I know if I'm
2: naturally high T? Ah, that's a good question. I mean, I found out when I was going in to get some more testosterone for my blood levels. Uh, when I was transitioning, the nurse was like, Whoa, are you on T already? And I was like, what? He was like, your testosterone's really high. Um, and apparently this is, uh, I think this is true of my mom too, is we're kind of high T women. Uh, we're maybe uh, energetic and assertive and masculine of temperament. I don't know. I, I could be making things up here, but I was just curious.
0: Yeah, well, I think it's possible to be all those things without actually having high levels of testosterone in your blood. But interestingly, no, I've never, I've never actually had my hormone levels checked as far as I'm aware.
2: Yeah, no, I'm sure that I'm sure that's right. I think it can just it can it can correlate to those things, old oh, hormone levels. But I don't know. I
1: I believe that uh, a side effect of PCOS is high testosterone as well.
0: Yes, and I'm I'm menopausal, so I don't mm. have the estrogens override. Like I don't have the same overwhelming the you know the estrogen's overwhelming the testosterone so uh i think i might be growing a little mustache fuzz i'm not sure i can't really tell and it's blonde like my arm hair so i'm not going to do anything about it but uh i don't think you get more testosterone in menopause i think you just just the other things that sort of overwhelm the testosterone sort of drop a little bit
2: That's so interesting.
0: Menopause is so awesome for me. I love it so much. It's worth surviving all those decades of, (laughs) of being a woman (laughs) just to get to menopause. It has exceeded all of my expectations. What's the good parts of menopause? You know, when I just look back at, at my fertile years, I just feel like I was crazy. I was just made crazy. Uh-huh. Uh, with my desires for sex and mating. Uh-huh. And this is the first time in my life I've had relief from that. And I just ah. feel so sane. And, you know, before puberty came, you know, I was, I remember being a child and like, you know, staring at the train headlight, like, no, I was saner when I was a kid than I was once I was a teenager and adult, because I just didn't have those, those desires. And also when I went through puberty, I was, I was pretty depressed as a kid, but it just got worse and worse. Like it just exploded uh, when I was, when I was pubescent, which is my understanding about all kinds of mental illnesses that they just blossom then. And, you know, just my, I felt like my brain was trying to kill me. That was absolutely horrific. And of course, very gradually as i've gotten older my mental health has improved and i'm i'm real stable now i don't associate that directly with menopause but boy the the not trying to mate all the time not not wanting to mate at all just not
2: that is so interesting to deal with any of it it's like i'm free i'm free it's so great wow That is so interesting. I cannot believe the kind of stuff that just does not, I feel like filter down into the like cultural, uh, I I don't feel like a lot of information about menopause and like the experience of menopause is like circulating in popular culture because I don't know, people just, uh, people just they're like, this isn't something we need to talk about very much, but it sounds, it sounds amazing.
0: I hated being fertile. I hated Mm. the risk of pregnancy. Yeah. Um, and I hated menstruating like it was incredibly painful as well as gross and expensive and disruptive. And it's like, why wouldn't I think about menopause? Like, like, it's gonna end. It gets better. We should talk about it all the time.
2: (laughs) Yes. I imagine you just staring out over the vistas of your life like a calm queen, just like, ah, none of that bullshit anymore.
0: Yeah, it's really awesome. So I am, if you, if we haven't discussed this before, I am one of those women who believes that she would have totally transed or begged to trans.
2: I was going to say, it sounds like it, yeah.
0: Yeah, I mean, I had all the things, especially the depression, right? Like Mm -hmm. uh, I would have done anything to end that depression. And even back in the 80s when I was going through this, uh, I remember saying... There's something wrong with my hormones. There's something wrong with my hormones. Like mm. it has to be the hormones.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it provides a it provides kind of a nice, neat explanation for all this panoply of of sufferings that I think are super common uh, in women. So I don't know. Do you feel like you missed out? <laughs>
0: No way. No, I mean, then I would have been miserable and medicalized, right? Like then I would have had an additional, an additional thing that I'd have to deal with.
1: But you'd have this robust, strong body that would let you bicycle up to 100 miles on any given day.
0: (laughs) Not when I was young. I was quite sick when I was young. I'm healthier now. I got I got a lot healthier as I got older. My 20s were awful, though i like dislocated my knees hardly doing anything i was sick all the time i had my tonsils out when i was 25 because i had so many throat infections and then i still kept getting sick after that i was not healthy youth sucks youth is hard probably (laughs) probably (laughs) were you ever young corinna
1: I wasn't young in the normal way, so (laughs) I just have to believe other people as they talk about it.
0: Well, your own youth doesn't sound so great.
1: I mean, it was fine. I'm here.
0: (laughs) I mean, yes, I'm here too. I like it a lot more now.
1: (laughs) It's impossible to send yourself any sort of message back in time, but even if I could, uh, I know that the young me getting that letter would just tear it up and pretend like I hadn't seen it.
0: Yeah. Absolutely.
1: Because when you're young, you're stupid. If you're listening and you're young, you're stupid. (laughs) But don't worry, it gets better. Sometimes.
2: There's a... What is it? Like, um, audacity of youth or something where you're like, I know what's up. And then you get older and you're like, what? Like, girl well from where did that confidence arise because you didn't have any grounds for it but that's kind of just the human condition i guess whether you medicalize yourself and go on a strange transgender odyssey or just live through the normal humiliations and pains and sufferings of uh i was gonna say I was going to do heavy air quotes cisgender life, but I realized it wouldn't come across because it's a podcast. So you know, yep.
0: Yeah. I think that's why young people have to have limits, and people saying no to them mm-hmm. because they have this boundless drive, and that inevitably is going to put them in. Conflict with any obstacles. <laughs> but those obstacles are there for their own safety. If I had gone through my adolescence now, my parents, because they're they were liberals, would almost certainly have acquiesced. Like they may have had some uh-huh. reservations, but they would have acquiesced. I am grateful that. When I was an adolescent, it was still culturally appropriate for parents to parent, Uh and that my parents did not have a big problem saying no to me. And because that's just what you did. They did what was expected of them as parents. Uh, my dad, especially would say no all the time. And so I hated my dad. I hated him (laughs) (laughs) and, uh, I'm really grateful now that he did that and was
2: willing to tolerate having a kid that hated him. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's like the parents have to kind of, however imperfectly kind of like prepare you for the world. And it's like, if if the parents acquiesce to everything you want, then you won't really like get a sense of your limits and then you'll go out in the world and then probably the world will impose some limits on you in a way that is much more painful than your parents will. I'm pretty sure I'm verbatim quoting Jordan Peterson right now. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> but also, you know, I would have hurt myself.
2: It's not just yeah. that the
0: world would have hurt me. I mean, I, the way because I was depressed and, and desperate, I put myself in harm's way in ways mm-hmm. that a healthier young person wouldn't have done. So I can't really say like, oh, that's the world chewing me up. It's It's a mix.
2: Yeah. Yeah, like, what responsibility do we have to young people to keep them from hurting themselves? This is an interesting, like, question. And I feel like we do have a responsibility. But can I what the boundaries of that are? I don't know. Yeah, I read a poem. Yeah,
1: this is poetry time with hetero Do you know uh, Shel Silverstein? <sighs>
0: Yes. Right. yes. I memorized a Shell Silverstein poem when I was in grade school. I can still remember it.
1: Maybe if I tell you the title of this one, maybe it's the one you memorized.
0: Almost certainly not, but go it's for it. It's called
1: Little Abigail and the Beautiful Pony. Do you know this one? Uh-uh. All right, it goes like this. There was a girl named Abigail who was taking a drive through the country with her parents when she spied a beautiful, sad-eyed, gray-and-white pony, and next to it was a sign that read, For sale, cheap. Oh, said Abigail, may I have that pony? May I please? And her parents said, no, you may not. And Abigail said, but I must have that pony. And her parents said, well, you can have a nice butter pecan ice cream cone when we get home. And Abigail said, I don't want a butter pecan ice cream cone. I want that pony! I must have that pony! And her parents said, be quiet and stop (laughs) nagging. You're not getting that pony. And Abigail began to cry and said, if I don't get that pony, I'll die. And her parents said, you won't die. No child ever died yet from not getting a pony. (laughs) And Abigail felt so bad that when she got home, she went to bed and she couldn't eat. She couldn't sleep and her heart was broken. And she did die all because of a (laughs) pony that her parents wouldn't buy.
2: (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's right You should always give children exactly what they want Or they'll kill themselves By starvation
1: Give Abigail her pony (laughs) Give
0: Abigail her goddamn fucking pony (laughs) No child ever died From not from not getting a pony—is that what it said—or from not being bought a pony? Not yet. yet. I think. <laughs> yet. I think forty-one percent of children die from not getting a pony.
1: Would you rather have a pony that you have to take care of or a dead daughter? Mm. <laughs> God.
2: <laughs> yeah. You found this on the mermaids website, Karina. <laughs> <No. laughs>
1: Yeah, it was. It was in this morning's daily email affirming my uh, decision to trans my my child.
2: To anyone who might be concerned about these so-called side effects of puberty blockers, I'd like to remind you of the grim tale of Abigail and her pony. Ah.
0: For heterodorks listeners that aren't familiar with Grace, that we should just get a little bit of Grace's
2: story sure do you want me to just give you the cliffs notes real quick
0: yeah the cliffs notes for our listeners
2: so i was a transgender person for a while i am a female person who transitioned female to male with um testosterone and surgery um in my early 20s Uh, when I was 22. And I after being like non binary and being very into like gender stuff for a really long time. And so I did that. And then I was extremely unhappy with it. I thought that it was this kind of extremely like healing thing to do that would like empower me to be like a confident and actualized person and instead it was messed up my body and like was painful and disturbing and i just felt like it had all been totally just not what i thought it was at all so i detransitioned and went back to identifying living as a woman all that whatever that means I stopped trying to pass his mail. And then I have been on Twitter talking about detransition for a little while. And then I got connected to Corinna through Twitter. We do some stuff together. And we're also, I think, good friends now. And um, yeah, I am I feel like that's the relevant information. And you're the president of GCCan, right? Yeah, that's right.
0: Which is the gender care... Consumer Advocacy Network? That is correct.
1: Bingo. And I'd like to point out that I didn't even have to pay anybody $250 to get this grace to come (laughs) on our show. Well, she's not
0: worth as much. She's a she's a, a lower lower value trans.
2: I would like to become the third. I would like to become the most overcompensated detranssexual in America. <laughs> but detranssexual. Sadly, I, I, like I am that. not compensated at all. I
0: like detranssexual. That's de-trans-sexual, a great. Detranssexual. Did I just coin? Did I just coin something? You did. That's great. Detranssexual.
2: Oh, I'm like Oscar Wilde up in here.
0: <laughs> So I have a question about your story. Yeah. Oftentimes we think about people who are still teenagers transitioning mm-hmm. and those send off alarm bells. Of course. You were, you were 22, so you mm-hmm. were past the age of majority, beyond 18, mm-hmm. beyond even 21. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet people say that your brain isn't fully cooked or mostly cooked until you're 25. Do you feel like your brain cooked some more in the in those years after 22? Like, do you feel like those last three years were like the, <laughs> it needed those Reclencher. to like bounce properly <laughs> when you to be, to cook pricked with a toothpick that would come out clean
2: when it came <laughs> out of the oven? I mean, that's such a good question. I have like two thoughts. Let me, let me, let me say them quickly. The first one is that I really... I, I do think that like by the time I was 25, my brain felt much more, yeah, like put in the toothpick, comes out clean. It's much more baked. After I transitioned, I had like a, I don't know, maybe like a two year intense depression morning period. So that was around the same time when I was coming out of that as well. So, you know, brain development, it's hard to say from the inside. I certainly was a more cooked person at 25 the brain development thing is I think definitely worth thinking about worth discussion discussing and very important but I you know I think as far as stuff that I feel that like if I could go back and try to change it it wouldn't just necessarily or like stuff that I'm unhappy about it's not just oh well I shouldn't have been able to transition till I was 25 you know maybe it of course I would have preferred that because then I wouldn't have transitioned for me but like I just think that the way that people like think about and talk about transition is glamorized and I don't know marketed and hyped up people could get drawn in to that if they're like experiencing you know whatever kind of like gender suffering at like many different ages so I I it's, and, you know, that's, that's fine if people want to do that. Of course, it's their own bodies. But in terms of things that I think are problematic, I think it's, there's co- sort of like this culture of, of intensely idealizing transition that I think can kind of draw you in and then have you be disappointed at many different ages, not necessarily like something that would stop at 25. Does that, does that make sense?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was thinking of these as like separate, yeah. separate things. You're, you're closer to 25 than I am so it's it's hard for me to remember specifically i guess i could do something really horrific and go look at my crazed journals from that time but i really don't want to because they're very upsetting yeah i mean you did you did just say that for you personally like if if it had been impossible to do that until you were 25 then you wouldn't have done it you think
2: i mean unless i had not uh found anything better to do I guess. I think th- that part of the reason the transition was so appealing to me was that I had really just not gotten my life together in any real way. I wasn't thinking of it in these terms at the time. I was you know on the verge of maybe becoming an alcoholic. I was had no job prospects. I was it just it was like a total just floppy bag of bullshit. Just didn't have I think in those circumstances, something like a very clear laid out self-actualization journey, like becomes very tempting, but yeah, hopefully I would have gotten a job and like gotten my life together a little bit by then.
0: So what are some ways that you did get your life together uh, since, since then, like between, I assume you got a job or you got.
2: Yeah. Something that I feel like has been so important to me is just being able to kind of like free my mind from this really rigid way of thinking. And I think when I was younger, I had a really rigid way of thinking that included a lot of thinking about, okay, I really have to figure out my gender identity. What's my gender identity? Uh, This kind of thing, you know, being like, very like, I have to like look inside myself and like ruminate and I have to figure that out. And there was some shift that occurred, When I was first detransitioning, I was on Tumblr, and I found this radical feminist woman who was really into books. And she was like, you should read some books. And then she got me into like a, a book torrenting private website. Here's all these books. I think you should read books. And that was such a good perspective shift for me to like stop obsessing over the internal meaning of these little feelings I was having. And oh, yeah, the world of things that other people have made looking outside myself and doing things in the world out there so just yeah just just rejoining the world instead of living in rumination internet alone alone world big change
1: the validation vortex
2: (laughs) the validation vortex (sighs) did you have did you have real life friends yeah yeah i had i had a few um I was kind of, I was a little bit socially awkward in, in some ways, not to the extent that I like never, never had friends. It's kind of hard for me to make new friends through college. But, and I, I think at the time I was, I was kind of withdrawing socially, it was very inward. Um, but again, that's one of those things that's just gotten easier as I've gotten a little older, a little less up my own ass.
0: Yeah, I I can so relate to that. I was like super intensely introverted. And even when I was a little kid, if I did have a friend, I would be way too intense.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was never like chill hanging out with other people. I'd have super intense friendships with one person. Be like, you're my person. I'm holding on tight. which I'm sure was super relaxing to be around. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I was one of those.
2: This is why I say
0: it's so hard to be young.
2: It is.
0: And everything I've learned, I had to learn the hard way. Like there was no easy way for me to learn (laughs) the stuff. I mean, I assume that what you've learned from transitioning and detransitioning, well, maybe you could have learned it some other way, but you learned it that way. You learned it good.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the, a big lesson from transition is just not, I don't know, especially if you're someone who kind of has self-destructive tendencies, maybe like depressive and self-hating and can indulge in some self-harm t- type stuff. I think doing something of that intensity and then being like, oh, this wasn't just cutting yourself or something. This is a humongous thing that will burden me for the rest of my life. Maybe I need to rethink some of my tendencies. chill out a little bit because I have to I'm like now starting to the long term of my life and think about how I have to live with myself for that whole time away with youthful nihilism let's try to eat right and get some sleep
0: what was your family doing like when you had your double mastectomy
2: oh they were um I think they were uh I think they were worried about it but they were supportive because they're liberals and all the you know all the literature is like, this is a positive thing. So
0: when you detransitioned, did anybody in your family grieve with you?
2: I think everyone was really upset, yeah. It was really, yeah, it was really upsetting for everyone because, and this is, I feel really bad about this, I put the entire family through an enormous amount of drama, um, for sure. But it was a big, big thing. And then to have it be horrible instead of good at the end was horrible for everyone. Everyone is very unhappy about this. So, but they're very, you know, they were always there for me and supportive. So I'm very blessed in that way.
0: Have you had conversations with them where, like, do they have regret? Do they feel like they should have intervened instead of supported you?
2: I don't know. I don't know. I think they. I think, of course, they did. They did the best that they could, and they like. Did they made the best choices they could make with the information that they had? But I. I think maybe. Yeah, I don't know. I, I haven't talked about it so much, but um, I I think I get the sense that maybe, maybe like, if we did things again, they would be more willing to listen to maybe their instincts rather than the. The websites that are like dead daughter, live son, but hindsight, it's twenty twenty, isn't it? Are they mad about that? Like, do they feel like they were misled? I don't know. I don't even know if I. I can't. I, we haven't even really talked about it that much.
1: Speaking of hindsight, <laughs> we were talking before. If we could send a letter back, we would probably just tear it up. Mm-hmm. But there are probably other young women and in fact even young men who are at some stage of transition who will eventually detransition what sort of message would you give to somebody who is who has not yet realized that they're going to one day be on the detransition track but like what what does somebody need to understand to get to the point where that's something that they would, that they would contemplate as a a more positive outcome than continuing their transition? Like what sort of mindset or what sort of things are they thinking about to get to the point where detransition starts to become an option?
2: I would be really interested because Karina, I know that like one of your big things that you talk about a lot is talking about like, Coming to terms with your life as it is and like yourself as you really are, and, and separating that from fantasies about what transition can do, being able to find contentment in yourself that way. You didn't end up detransitioning, and I did, but I I think some of the underlying impulses are the same. With you know, you can't really you can change your body, you can't become an entirely different person. And by uh, the definitions that matter to me, I can't really change sex <laughs> unless you, you're doing some sort of uh, word interpretation operation. <laughs> this, is, this is a hard thing to transmit to people. The operations and stuff, you know, they're not magic. And I, I think at the time I wouldn't have been like, well, I don't think it's magic. But I think I did kind of think it was magic. <laughs> you're nodding.
1: Yeah, because there's this dissonance. Because it, on one hand, you know what sex you are. You know that that's never going to change. Mm-hmm. But there's this belief that irrespective of what your sex is, that you can still somehow hide all of that, put it behind you, and become a completely different person.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Which you can't.
2: Right. You're always a different person as you like grow and change. And that's, I think that is a really liberatory thing to realize as well. If you're like really unhappy in your life and you have stuff about yourself that you're unhappy with, possible to change and mature and alleviate some of that. The magic was in you all along. You don't need, you don't necessarily need to go on hormones or like surgically rearrange your body to do that. And I feel like once you kind of get into this framework of being like, oh, it's like my problems are gender problems. Well, this is this is the pathway by which I achieve that. And that's just not necessarily the only way to do it. And Of course, everyone has autonomy over their own bodies. I guess I just I don't have a moral concern about it, but more of a you know, there are things about transitioning that are painful and have real costs, opportunity costs and other things. So that's kind of the angle that I, uh, take for having caution about it.
0: How long were you on testosterone? About nine months. So your voice
2: is not very deep. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it used to be a lot higher and it can go lower, but it embarrasses me to do it. So,
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah, I mean, you, you have a, a female sounding voice i have heard some detransitioners who have very deep voices
2: yeah yeah was not on the t that long i probably would have gone on longer if i hadn't or chopped my boobs off and then freaked out and yeah something about surgery it really uh got me out of the the, like slow boiling the frog situation was like oh my god (sighs) Just something about those skin grafts just gets me down. Mm. It's okay. (laughs) Karen, I feel like we were gonna talk about having dark humor about surgery.
1: Oh, we are talking about
2: coping. Coping, yeah.
1: Yeah, I totally forgot to bring that up. So when Grace and I converse, a lot of times we have very, 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 very dark humor in fact, I think the, the story about Abigail and the Pony is a good example of the sort of humor that we engage in because obviously for us, that's not a story about a pony. There was a former member of our nonprofit who among a, a laundry list of criticisms of former board members was our propensity to joke about trans topics. But I feel like for me, and Grace, I'd like you to react to this, For me, I have to laugh about some of this shit. Otherwise, I'd be crying all the time.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. There's elements to having surgically altered your body and then under a mindset where you think it's going to create this profound, wonderful change in your life and then like coming to terms with what it actually is. And I know that Corinna and I have different, had different surgeries, we're different. But yeah, it's it's really, really heavy. It's like extremely heavy to live with. And I just think that making messed up jokes about having my nipples turned into pepperonis, uh, just, <laughs> it just alleviates some of that, you know, some of that right. grief. <laughs> Wait,
1: your surgery, I think your, your surgery principally was to facilitate having uh, an easier time performing jumping jacks, <laughs> whereas mine was to facilitate a, a convenient way to carry around spare change.
2: <laughs> that's right. That's uh, that's what they talk about when they talk about dilation, I think.
1: That's right. It's oh. the, the more you dilate, the more change you can carry.
2: Well, yes, yeah, so this is true. This is true. Yeah, this is true of natal women as well, Dinam uh, Right, that we keep some quarters up there
0: I'm thinking of the scene in Pink Flamingos. Uh did you ever see the movie Pink Flamingos by John Waters? No. There's this scene where Divine I think she she indicates that she shoplifts some steaks by <laughs> I think she says she puts them in her own little oven. <laughs> Something like that. It was just totally gross. It's a totally gross out movie, and oh I was God. young when I saw it. but that was I think the first time that I had seen any joke about the idea of that like you would shove stuff up your vagina. And of course, it was a man mm-hmm. <laughs> who doesn't have a vagina making this joke. but um, yeah yeah I mean, i've it never is. used it's funny i've i am i am menopausal already i've been through an entire adulthood as a woman and yet i have never put money or stake uh-huh. up my vagina
1: well let me tell you about this arcade i got kicked out of one time
0: <laughs> is that where you put your tokens
1: i didn't know that they were going to jam up the machine if they got a little wet <laughs>
2: That, was pure that wasn't transphobia my transphobia of that. That was
1: transphobia. I felt very unvalidated.
0: <laughs> wet. You should have felt very validated. My tokens are so wet they jammed the machine. <laughs> uh
2: something Those were think the about. Days. Well, I, I just to to your point earlier though, Corinna, I got surgery. I had my breast removed and I remember being in the room unwrapping to view my chest for the first time i had been wrapped in surgical bandages and i like looked at my chest i think my nipples are like crooked i like showed it to my fiance and he was like "Uh, oh it's fine don't worry about it but now my nipples are crooked and the swelling eventually went down it was like yeah my nipples were put back on my chest crooked that is and that's the rest of my life it just is so funny and stupid. Someone threw a bunch of pepperonis on a pizza or something. I'm like, this my my chest is now this clumsy handiwork. Oh man, you gotta laugh or you certainly will cry. It's very weird. So your fiance was your fiance. Oh he, he wasn't at
0: the time. No.
2: Oh you had a different fiance. Oh no sorry no he was my boyfriend at the time. <laughs> okay.
0: <weren't> there, so. <laughs> Got it. Yeah. And you were heterosexual through this whole thing. I was, well, uh, <laughs> um, yes, except you were gay. So, so you did that whole
2: talk with your boyfriend. It's like, well, you're going to be gay, right? Now and you're you gay. To- <laughs> I consider myself a bi hat, um, <laughs> as the radical feminists like to say, sorry. I think it's funny to call myself a bi hat. Maybe it isn't no, but yes, I was heterosexual the whole time, but wow. Yes. So he's, he's been through a
0: lot. I thought of two questions. Okay. Okay, one question uh, is, I have heard about detransitioners complaining about TERFs appropriating detransitioners for their own agenda. I would like to hear more about that. I have actually finally seen a tiny little bit of that that made me understand what the complaints were about. Um, What was it? It was it was somebody with such a strong agenda, a woman with such a such a sort of warlike approach to trans politics. The gender critical radfems that I knew that were working with detransitioned women, uh, they didn't seem like that at all. They seemed they seem pretty deferential to the uh-huh. to the detransitioners. So I was wondering what was happening that makes some detransitioners
2: super outspoken against being used for political ends. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I feel like there's. I mean, you know, detransitioners. Uh, um. I think some people are very against what would be called like radical feminist style agendas whatever that would be I don't really know maybe like the idea that like trans identity isn't valid for some people you know whatever but I I, like more than that this is like an extreme sensitivity that I think is kind of a holdover from the extreme sensitivity that like trans people are taught to have about their identities there's just this circulating thing in like trans world if people are going to use you as a political tool and you know people do people obviously like take detransitioner stories and then they're like hey look at this this is proof of this thing that we said was going to happen it's happening that is something that people definitely do it doesn't really bother me for example to have a therapist who was worried about affirmation only stuff hold up my case and be like here's an example of something that you know, I was saying, I guess it's like, well, you were right. Everyone's got their own agenda. I think detransitioners are sensitive to the fact that right-wing people are going to try to use their story. Radical feminists might, whatever use your story means, like hold you up as an example for something. But that's just kind of To me, that's just kind of what happens when you put your story out into the world. And I think if people don't want to be cited in letters to Congress or something like stuff like that, I think that they're well within their rights to be like, hey, I don't want to be included on that. I do think it's kind of like, well, if you put yourself out there, people are going to talk about you. And I do kind of feel like it's a holdover from like trans world of people can't talk about me in this way. It's like, well... They can. <laughs> People can talk about you however they want. Actually, you may not like it and it may not be very nice, but it's just something that's going to happen.
0: And there's there's a growing community online of detransitioners, right? Online and in real life, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's more and more detransitioners. And are most of them women?
2: Yeah. I mean, it really seems that way. I feel like there must be more male detransitioners out there somewhere, but they're like, shy and traumatized and hidden away or something occasionally one comes up for a little while and then disappears in my circle of twitter which is ominous i I just have this feeling that male detransitioners may be more isolated than female detransitioners
1: there's no movement in masculinity or in, in the male world that is equivalent to radical feminism so while there is a, a whole movement of women out there, even if they're not radical feminists, there's a whole movement of women out there who are supportive of female persons detransitioning, who want to give them some guidance and support. There's nothing like that for males who are detransitioning.
0: Yeah, men are yeah. men are hoping to eject the feminine men out of masculinity and women are hoping to reclaim the masculine women into into femaleness but the men really seem to want to eject those men
1: men st- straight men don't even want gay men around very often
0: largely not not there are many exceptions to that but largely,
1: largely yeah. right.
2: Yeah, I can't tell what like what a, more of a community for like detrans men would look like. There's a lot of there's a lot of problems between detrans men and I saw someone saying this like a lot of detransitioned men or like dysphoric men, especially around my age and younger, they often grew up in a strongly feminist cultural milieu, which I think there's a certain way in which, if you are a ruminative, shy, or depressive man, you can maybe absorb some of that messaging in a way that, like, maybe makes you feel like you are. Bad for being a man. I feel kind of weird saying this because I I'm not trying to be like I'm against feminism. That's not what I'm trying to say at all. But I do think that there's a way that certain that men can kind of get in their heads about about being a man as a bad person. I'm like an oppressor. That's not your destiny. Like that's not.
1: I know what you mean because the the counterpoint here is that men actually are terrible, and nobody in the right mind would want to be one.
0: But apparently we all want to have sex with them.
1: And that's okay.
0: (laughs) It's okay to have sex with them, just not to be them. They're hideous to be, but they're very desirable to get close to. Is that correct?
1: You don't have to choose men. You can choose women. You could be a hetero bi or a lesbian.
0: You can't be a lesbian.
1: (laughs) I said you. I didn't say me. And how dare you say that I can't be a lesbian?
0: <laughs> I say it just to bother you. I just dangle that. I'm I'm oppressing. This is cis oppress- oppression. The cis woman is oppressing.
1: Well, I have the antidote. I'm going to start identifying as cis. <laughs> well, Ooh. one of us, I guess one of us will. <laughs> that makes one. One out of three. <laughs> and here's the thing. Whether I'm cis is a pragmatic question. If people treat me like I'm cis, then I'm cis. Let me tell you about this firefighter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, um, Grace, I noticed that you've been picking up a lot of followers on Twitter and that you've also been writing for such a, August Publications as Newsweek. <laughs> so, for people who are listening to Heterodorks, how can they learn more about your writing or follow any of your projects?
2: Um, thank you for asking, Karina. Um, so, I am on Twitter at Hormone Hangover. That's my handle, and I also have a blog at Substack. Um, hormonehangover.substack.com. And I don't update the blog very much, but I do put links to all the interviews that I do and the publications that I do um, on there. And I have one, um, I was on 60 Minutes um, like a couple months ago. So that was how I got all my, all my followers was from that prime time TV.
1: All right. Now you are America's most famous detransitioner. (laughs)
2: <laughs> that is a uh, super weird to think about yeah and detranssexual that's right detranssexual <laughs> detranssexual liberation now
1: well thank you for joining us on heterodorks
2: thank you grace
0: it was it has been wonderful talking with you
2: thank you so much all right have a good night